Hey, you know what I, you know what I heard yesterday? I heard that uh, Nebraska beat Minnesota 24-17. Does anybody care about that here this morning? Uh, there's a whole bunch of people. <laughs> I don't know if you're Nebraska fans or not, but uh, I heard before the service that we have some folks here from Nebraska. Raise your hand if you're from Nebraska this morning. Isn't that awesome? I think, you know what's really... You know what's really great about that? What's really great about them being here is they're like, they look like you're all under 30 and you got up and went to church and you're not in your hometown, so nobody's watching. So that's even, that's really, that's really great. Thanks for coming this morning. We're glad that, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Hey, this morning is the last message that I'm preaching in this Crash Test Dummy series. And we've been talking about the mistakes that we make again and again and again. And... We've been focusing on what happens when we get on the wrong side of money. And uh, instead of using money, money uses us. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us uh, is that if we love God, God will take care of us. But if we love money, money will begin to use us. God forgives, money can't forgive. And so we've been talking about this this, this whole month. And this morning, I want to begin my message by looking at just three core principles, three core principles from the teaching of Jesus that if you will practice these three things in your life, if you remember these things, it will keep you from making some big mistakes in this area of your life. And then I want to give you some advice, some really, really good advice. I'm telling the message, some good advice, some good advice. So look at these three principles. Uh, Jesus said this. Jesus said that it is really foolish to spend your lifetime accumulating possessions and stuff and thinking that life is about making money and accumulating possessions. He said it's foolish because at the end of our lives, we let go of everything we've collected and then we spend eternity with God. The whole point is that that it's foolish, it's foolish uh, to be rich on this earth, but to not have a rich relationship with God, because you've got to live with eternity in mind. Because life is short, and eternity is forever. Spend your life building the relationship with God. And so then he goes on and says, he says, if you want to have the good life, if you want to have the life that is meaningful and rich, If you want to do more than just make a living, if you want to have a life, seek the kingdom of God. God knows what you need. Put God first in your life, his kingdom above all things, and you'll have the things that you need, and and more importantly, you will have life. And then he said this, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, and what he means there is if you don't manage the things that you have been given, if, if you don't steward them, uh, who will trust you, he says, with the true riches of heaven? Now, this comes down to a very fundamental principle that you will find from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and is the idea that God is the creator of all things and that God owns all things. Everything that you have is on loan to you from God. God is the owner. We are the managers. When we understand that, when we understand that, it helps us to to make better decisions about our life. 
God doesn't give you everything that you have just so that you can take care of yourself. God has blessed you with what you have so that you can be a blessing to others and so that you can invest in the things that God cares about. Now this this is, is so beautiful, so amazing, what he's teaching. And I'm really, really convicted by this. That the church has made a terrible mistake. Not just our church, but all churches. The church is really good at talking about giving, but we're terrible when it comes to talking about management. Okay? Let me, let me explain what I mean. We're really good at talking about the 10%. The biblical standard for giving and tithing 10%. But we're terrible when it comes to talking about the other 90%. The 90% is where you live your life. The 90% is where you send your kids to college. The 90% is where you pay for your home. The 90% is where you live your life. And if the church only spends its time and energy talking about giving, we have not set people up to succeed. I love this word alignment. Alignment means when you put yourself in alignment with something, your values align with what God cares about. And and I believe that if we align ourselves with these teachings, you know, put God first, invest in what God cares about, manage our things well, be good stewards of what God has given us, we will get the Greek word zoe. Zoe is a word for life used in the New Testament, and it doesn't mean biological life. It's not just air in, air out, air out life. It's not just making a living. It's not just living your life. It's life. It's abundance. It's joy. It's relationships. And it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake because in the, in the church, we, we've talked about this stuff like it's a burden. You know, we, we shy away from it. But the teachings of Jesus are if we uh, align ourselves with his teachings in this important area of our life, we get real life, abundant life. <laughs> so, so last week, I, I got this really tickled at one of our church members. She always, she's so great because she sends me emails, a commentary on my sermons. And uh, she sent me this picture last week. That's not the actual photo she sent me, but she actually, she actually took her credit card and she froze it in a block of ice. And she sent me the photo and she said, David, I took to heart what you said. I'm an impulsive spender. And so the next time I want to use my credit card, by the time the card is thought out to use it, I'll have time to think about the decision if it was a good thing to do or not. I thought, that's just really great. That's just great advice. So so let me then give you some advice this morning. I want to give you some really, really good advice. If for some reason or another you are fortunate enough to buy a lottery ticket and you win the lottery and suddenly you become rich, I want to give you some advice. Or let's say that 
Within the next few weeks, someone in your family passes away. Some long-lost rich relative you've never heard of remembered you in his will and leaves you a lot of money and you become rich. I want to give you some good advice. Because there's a good way to be rich and a bad way to be rich. And I wouldn't want you to be bad at being rich, right? I mean, and it might be that somebody here wakes up tomorrow morning and thinks, you know, I got a little extra cash, I'm going to invest in the stock market. And, you know, you just happen to catch on to the next Facebook or you got a hold of the next Microsoft. And a few years from now, you're like the next Bill Gates or you're this rich person. You really need some good advice because, because this is what the Bible teaches for rich people. Okay? It says if you ever become rich, you need to know this, that if you get on the wrong side of money, you're going to get on the wrong side of God. That's pretty harsh, but let me give you an example. Here's a story. I want to share a couple of references of Scripture. Because if you, Neil, if you ever get rich, I don't want you to be bad at it, okay? I want you to be good at it. Dolly, if you ever win the lottery, I want you to be really, really good at it, okay? And we don't want you to join another church either, okay? So... There's this story Jesus tells, and it's in the midst of all this teaching. He talks about this rich man. There was this rich man, and man, he dressed great. He dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived each day in luxury. But at his gate was this really poor man named Lazarus, and it's very descriptive here. Lazarus was covered with sores, and he was so weak, uh, the dogs would come and lick his sores, and he just longed. Notice he says he longed for the scraps from his table. Doesn't mean he got his scraps. Because one of the side effects, one of the bad ways of being rich, is that when you're rich, sometimes you don't see what's going on around you because they build walls and they build your neighborhood away from other people and they put up walls and gates to keep you from seeing other people. And so one of the things about being rich is it insulates you, it blinds you. You don't see what's going on in the world. You live in an imaginary world. You think the whole world's like your world, okay? That's, that's a side effect. If you're rich, you've you got to be careful now, okay? So here's what happens. Jesus says, finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. Now, I've got to tell you, when Jesus told this story, it completely shocked people in the culture, because in that culture they believed that rich people, that wealth was a sign of the blessing of God, and you had done things right in your life, and you had what you had because God gave it to you. But if you were poor, that meant you had somehow or another, uh, you know, dishonored God, disrespected God. You were a sinner. And so rich people didn't help poor people because it was a poor man's fate. You don't help Lazarus. But Jesus just, Jesus just sort of, well, Jesus is a troublemaker. He's just, he's just, he, he just thinks differently. And... He's always talking about how the last will be first and the first will be last and just turns everything upside down. And basically, he says, poor man goes to heaven. And, and if you ever get rich, you need to know, he says here, rich man goes to hell. Now, the rich man doesn't go to hell because, because he's rich. The rich man goes to hell because uh, what he does with uh, what he has. Now, what's really interesting is, 
It's really amazing. We're all biblical literalists until we read a passage like this, and then we become, well, this is metaphorical. This is hyperbole. We want to apply all the principles uh, uh, literally that don't really apply to us and to our wealth and possessions. And here's what he says then. He goes, the rich man then shouted, Father Abraham, we have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of the finger in the water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Well, the whole point then is get on the wrong side of money, meaning hoarding, holding, keeping, you end up on the wrong side of God. And, and let's just interpret this very literally this morning. Money, we said money, how we handle money is a spiritual issue that has eternal consequences. Just, just accept it for what it is. If you, you know, Neil, if you ever win the lottery, I want you to remember that because Sarah doesn't, she's going to heaven, she doesn't want you to go to hell. Okay, so we want you to get this right. We want you to get this right. That's good advice. So let me then give you the second piece of Scripture. There's a second piece of Scripture. And, and Paul, Paul the Apostle, picks up on the same theme. And Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing it to a, a pastor, a young minister, who's living in Ephesus. And he's left him behind, and the church has a lot of rich people. Paul's concerned about them. And uh, you'll find this passage in your bulletin, or you can just listen to me. He goes on and Paul says, When you teach these people, teach them that we brought nothing with us in the world when we came into the world, so we can't take anything with us when we leave the world. What he's saying is that everything that you have and everything that I own, we only have it temporarily. If you invest your life thinking that the stuff that you have is going to give you security, it's not going to give you security. Because everybody dies the same. Everybody leaves the earth the same. And wealth makes a terrible God because wealth gives us the illusion of security that we don't have. Wealthy people get cancer. Rich people get hit by cars. We all leave the earth the same way. And so he says to them, he says, learn to be content because content and godliness is true wealth. Meaning, if, if you have a level of contentment about what you have, contentment is not getting what you want, but wanting what you have, being grateful for what you have. And true wealth is not measured in possessions, but it's measured in gratitude and contentment. And then he goes on and he gives the warning. More, more good advice. He says, rich people, people who long to be rich, not just rich people, but people who long to be rich, fall into temptation, are trapped by foolish and harmful desires that, list this word, plunge them plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money's evil. It just says the love of money. When you put anything before God, money is a terrible God. Money can't forgive you. Money can't hold you. 
at the end of your life, money will not hold you before you die. Money will not take care of your fear. Only God forgives. Only God holds. So he says, some people craving for money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money will separate you from God. Now, this is just good advice. If, if you win the lottery, Corky, I want you to remember this. This is good advice because I wouldn't want you to wander from your faith. And then he goes on, and, and this is what I love. He doesn't just talk about about the bad stuff. He then talks about how to be good at being rich. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's what you do with it. He says, so teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God's going to give you what you need. Align your life with these principles and you will have enough for what you need. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich, rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience Zoe, true life. So if you're going to be rich, he says, the, the advice is be good at it. Use it to bless others. Manage it in a way where you have enough freedom and margin in your life to have healthy, beautiful, fantastic relationships. And then Jesus tells these stories about a rich man comes up and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all you have and follow me. The rich man says, oh, I got too much to give up. I, I'm going to keep going this way. Bad example, Jesus. Don't do that, Jesus says. And then he meets this other guy. I mean, just a few verses later, he meets this other guy who's this, this really uh, rich, wealthy tax collector. He meets him, goes to his house, and the man listens to the teachings of Jesus and then he says, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give all my money to the poor, and I'm going to take care of the people I've defrauded, I've cheated. And then Jesus looks at him and says, salvation has come to your house. You see, Jesus' teachings, what we do with our resources matter. You can't separate your faith from your stuff. Okay, I, I'm not making this up. This is what it says. This is just good advice if you ever get rich. Oh, good question. Uh, how much do you have to have to be rich? Maybe we should, I forgot to ask that question. Hey, you know what I read? I read last week. I was thinking about how much you have to have to be rich. I read last week, if you make $37,000 a year, You're in the top 4% of all the people that live on the planet. Oh. Now, I, I don't know what people's incomes are. But if, you know, I would say that probably most of the people in this room don't think that people who make $37,000 a year are rich. But if you compare that income to the rest of the people on the earth, 
and you make more than $37,000 a year, congratulations, you hit the lottery. You know, I was thinking about it too, you know. I was thinking, you know, as for me and my family, um, we only have to work five days a week to put food on the table for seven days. I wonder if there are, you know, sometimes you have to work five and a half days, but most people get one day off, right? I bet most people in the room are able to work five or six days and have enough food to take care of your family. But you know what, did you know if, if that's the case for you, did you know that you're in a minority? Well, technically you're rich. Because most of the people in the world, they have to work seven days a week, like 12 hours a day just to have enough food, and still then they don't have enough. I, I know a family, actually there's a, there's a sushi restaurant right down the street, and you can go in there, and uh, they actually have named a, a sushi roll after me. That's the one thing I got going for me. It's called the David roll. It's pretty good, actually. Um, <laughs> it's the one thing I got going for me. But this family, they're an immigrant family, and, and they came from China, Ginza, the best sushi on. It's a great place right down the street. Go and tell them David sent you and get the David roll. They love, they love you. But that family, they work, tw- they work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. The immigrants to the United States. And they have to work seven days a week to put food on their table. And every day after school, their kids come and they never, I ask them, you ever had a vacation? No. We can't afford it. That's the way most of the world lives. You know, you know every now and then uh, I, I, I uh, find myself saying this, you know, like I have a really nice car and I think, you know, I worked hard to earn this. I deserve this. I worked hard to earn this, or I worked hard for my house. You know, we look at the stuff we have, you know, we give away a little bit, and then we look at the stuff we have, and you say, well, I deserve all this. I've worked really, really hard. And I had this sobering reality. I mean, if you want a sobering reality about the real world we live in, think about this for a minute. You know, you say, well, I worked really hard to have what I have. Do you know that there are people on the earth who work a lot harder than you do and a lot harder than I do who have far less to show for it? And the reason is not because God's blessed you or me more than anybody else. It's because you were born white and you were born in America and you were born with parents who could give you an education. You weren't born in Pakistan and you weren't born in Uganda. You weren't born in China. We're not any more privileged than anybody else. That's just the way rich people think. You see... The problem with rich people, the problem with rich people uh, is that we, we live in denial. We don't think we're rich. Why? We don't think we're rich because we compare ourselves up. We don't compare ourselves down. Jesus says, Jesus says in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, if you want to get an accurate assessment of who you are as a human being on the face of the earth, don't look at, don't look at the rich man, look at Lazarus at your gate. Open your eyes. That will put things in perspective. You have what you have, not to hoard what you have, but to share what you have. And here's the the thing about it is we think we get life by collecting stuff. The teaching of Jesus says no, life comes in the giving. It comes in the giving. People say you can't buy happiness. You know what? That's a flat-out lie. You can buy happiness. If you're not buying happiness with your money, you're just spending it on the wrong stuff. You're spending it on yourself. You can buy happiness if you use money for the right things. Let me give you a few principles. Principle number one, 
break the cycle of discontent. Uh, rich people, rich people are plagued with discontent. You know, you know, we do, we do this funny, we call it an upgrade, you know. So we go into our kitchen and we rip out a microwave that works and we rip out countertops and then we put in marble countertops and put in new microwaves and new refrigerators. We call it an upgrade. Or we'll, we'll get, take our iPhone and we'll stand in line for two hours with an iPhone that works just fine and texting all our friends, hey, I'm standing in line to get my new $600 iPhone because I'm upgrading. Or we'll drive a perfectly good car. Well, who does it? Oh, rich people do that. Uh, we drive our perfectly good car into a car lot. We leave it there. We give the man money. And then we walk out with another car that does exactly the same thing, only we have a five-year worth of payments. Now, who does that? Rich people do that. It's all about discontent. The way to address the spiritual issue is to put God at the center so there's a level of contentment in our life so we don't need stuff. Uh, I'm connecting with somebody, I think. I don't know. All right? Somebody's connecting with this today. Uh, this is not bad news. This is good news. That is upgrade the quality of your life. You want to know how to upgrade the quality of your life? It's not with mount marble countertops. It's by setting a lower standard of living. You can upgrade the quality of your life by having a lower standard of living. What I mean by that is don't believe the American dream is about getting stuff. Have a smaller house. Drive less of a car. Have financial margin. Have breathing room. You know, get some breathing room financially so you can respond to the call of God in your life. Third thing is live with eternity in mind. Biblical teaching. You only get to keep what you give away. You know what we get to keep? Brian's house. Everybody in this church has been a part of Embrace Louisville. When you die, guess what? You're going to leave your house behind, but you're going to take Brian's house with you. That's just, what do you think about that? That's just, I don't know, I just got the Holy Ghost right there. I just, ooh. I just felt the hair sitting on the back of my neck because when I start preaching the truth, you can just, you can, I don't want to be all goofy and holy ghosty, but that just, whoo, that got me. He's, that's what Jesus says when he says, invest, invest. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. You saw, I see somebody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I felt it, I felt that, you know, it's like, that's, it, live with eternity in mind is, is make decision on this, in this lifetime that you can take with you in the next lifetime. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven are how you invest in others. The last thing is, again, when I said buy happiness with money. Do you know what is the greatest leverage that we will have, that we have in the city? It's not our message. It's our generosity and our mass message with it. The greatest impact that we have on the city is our compassion and our generosity. People listen when we are generous. So I started out this morning by saying, so if you ever win the lottery, let me just say,
you already want it. 